Evergreen Church. Please stand. How many this morning were biblically satisfied on Thanksgiving? Yes, if you were here last week, we said that satisfaction in Hebrew translated literally to being full to the point of being on the verge of becoming weary. So some of us got satisfied on Thursday. Um, I believe that on Thursday I crossed the line. I crossed the line and I hit weary. I ended up on my parents' floor. If you gain two pounds this week like me, uh, that means you consumed approximately 7,000 calories more than you burned. But the way I see it is seven is God's number. So I feel like there is extra grace in the room today for all of us that gained an extra two pounds. Can I get an amen from anyone? All right. Shirts are a little tighter today. Um, it's amazing to me how you can go to um, two different family meals and they're serving the same holiday meals. The names are the same, but the flavors are very different. One might be wonderful and the other might be like more wonderful. Do you know what I mean? Like yams are yams are yams, but they ain't. Uh, and stuffing can go really good or it can go really bad. And so can turkey, by the way. Turkey can be good one year and the next not so much. I, just for the record, our food was wonderful. So I'm not speaking out of experience today. I just know that that can happen. And it's the same kind of in the church. You can take a poll after church and everyone in the room can hear the same sermon experience the same worship, be worshiping the same God, and yet someone will leave saying, ah, I was rather bland. And others will say, that was fire. It's just amazing to me how we can put ourselves in the same situation as others and receive different things. So my challenge to you this morning is to receive all that God has for you. Lean in a little further than you typically would on a Sunday morning. Take more notes than you would. Ask Holy Spirit, as I'm speaking today, ask Holy Spirit what it is that he wants you to glean from today's sermon, because there is something for you today in our sermon. Let's go ahead together and make a declaration about today's time in the Word. Today's a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. I'm going to take you to our text this morning, and I'll sit you down. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 gives us context of our sermon today. And the Apostle Paul is sitting in a prison, and it says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now here we learn that Paul has written this book while in prison, probably in Rome, around 60 or 62 AD. And while he's in prison, he gives a brilliant sermon to us in chapter 4 on the three resources for daily living. 
I'll just, I'll spoil that sermon for you because I'm not preaching that one today. But the three resources for daily living is peace, contentment, and provision. And we'll see that all throughout chapter four as we walk through that. Uh, t- next week, we're going to talk about provision as we believe God for big things. And many of you have, have asked about submitting your offering in December as a Christmas gift. So we're going to do that on the third next week. Peace and contentment, though, I want to talk about today because that sounds an awful lot like satisfaction. Satisfaction. Last week, I talked about satisfaction. This week, I want to continue the conversation of satisfaction on the vein of peace and contentment. So let's jump down to chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. It says, I implore Evodia and I implore Sentihe to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. One of my wife's favorite two verses are following here. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, we come before you today, the God of peace. I thank you that you're in the room. I thank you that you've pulled up a chair at the table to have a conversation with us to impart your nature to us today. God, I ask that our ears would be open, our hearts would be receptive to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. Before you sit down, high five somebody, fist bump, shake their hand and say, may peace be with you. I want to ask a question, but I don't want anyone to raise their hands at all. Don't even flinch. In fact, don't smile. Don't give it away that I'm speaking to you. How many of you were heading into Thanksgiving wondering if it was going to turn out okay? And I ain't talking about the turkey that you eat. I'm talking about the turkey that you only see once a year. You know, that family member, that person that's bringing division or conflict. And if you don't have one in the family... Chances are. (laughs) Nobody's told you yet. I'm proud to be the one. Chances are it's you because every family has one. In my family, it's definitely Sherry. (laughs) 
just kidding. No doubt it would be me. I'm, I am not difficult at all, but if there's a wild card, it would be Trey. Um, but every family has some person that, you know, you just think, what's going to happen now? I know that didn't happen in your family. Uh, you knew going into the holidays that it was going to be just wonderful and just fine. Nobody was going to get offended or their feelings hurt. I, I get that in your home it was like that, but in everyone else's home, typically there's that, that curiosity of, is this, is this going to go well or not? The Apostle Paul in our text in chapter 4, he begins by talking about two ladies who aren't unified. They're arguing in the church. Chapter 4, verse 2, it says, I implore Evodia and I implore Sentihe to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, in other words, everybody else in the church, I urge you, help these two women get along. I know on Thanksgiving or Christmas, we've all had those quiet conversations in the corner of don't talk about that in front of him. It gets him riled up. Just lay low. The family sometimes will work together covertly to keep the other person on their best behavior. Do you know you've learned the hot buttons to stay away from? And so on the holiday, you try to do that. Well, that's what Paul is saying here about these two women. And, and I love the fact that we don't know what they're arguing about. It could be something trivial. It could be something about doctrine. It could be something very significant, like they could be arguing over something that they should be arguing, like something that's really worth a fight. You know what I mean? Some things are worth a fight, you know, you know, a godly fight. But he starts out his whole talk on peace about unity. Unity is the foundation for peace. Sometimes we wonder why there's not peace in our home. Rather than look for the peace, first diagnose if there's unity. Do the kids know that they can play you against the parent? If I go to dad, he's going to say yes. If I go to mom, she's going to say yes. They're not on the same page, so they corner you. You know, my kids used to be really good at this, and Carrie and I had to up our game. And before I gave permission or she gave permission, we had to check with the other person to make sure that there wasn't already a conversation that had been had because our kids like to say, they used to like to say, oh yeah, mom's okay with it. When really what mom had said was, mm, you better check with your dad on that. right?" And so we need to understand that if we're searching for peace, first of all, let's diagnose the unity. The unity. Help these two women get along. And I'm glad we don't know what they're fighting about because we can kind of apply it to any situation in our life. No matter what it is that you're in a tiff about or you're upset about or is causing some turmoil in your home, the goal should be unity. Everyone in the home should be fighting for unity. Peace with God. <sighs> I suppose there's no better time than now to really settle with the peace of God. Black Friday just happened. Stores didn't make the money that they were hoping for, though online did really, really well. You know what that means, right? We're lazy. We'll get the deals online, but we're not going to go out in the store. Stores are, are suffering economically, 
the world is kind of a mess right now. We're headed into a time where materialism is going to try to grab your attention and you're going to feel not good enough if you don't get the right gift or the amount of gifts or spend the right amount of money. We need now more than any other time of the year, peace. Peace. If we're talking about being satisfied in the Lord, you and I have to really settle this issue of peace. Don't we already have peace with God, though? Have you, have you made your peace with God? Somebody's in the hospital and they're about to die, and we wonder, have they said yes to the Lord? What do we say? They've made their peace with God. Have you made your peace with God? If you said yes to Jesus, then the answer to that question is yes. You have made your peace with God. Don't we already have peace? Pastor, why are you preaching on peace if we've already got it? It's a good question. We do have peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you read on in that chapter, Romans 5, verse 10 literally says that you were an enemy of God before your salvation experience. So the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you were reconciled to him. The hostility ended. There was a a ceasefire that was put into motion. But not just that. You were invited to the living room to have dinner and supper. You were a son and a daughter. You became at peace with God. And as time goes on, we mature in the faith, we grow in the faith, and we begin to experience that position. I get to experience peace. The position of peace is instantaneous. But there is a a big difference between my position of peace with God and my experience of peace on earth. So you have positional peace automatically when you say yes, But I know a lot of Christians who are are at peace with God and their life is a hot mess. Their emotions are up and down and around, like just being around them. You feel like you're on a roller coaster and you get a bit nauseous because you never know what you're going to get. But they're on their way to heaven. They're at peace with God. Positionally, they have peace. Experientially, they don't. And so that's my question to us today. Are we experiencing peace? Because there is a big difference between our position and our experience. Can I give you another quick example? Another example to help frame this. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that God has raised us up with him and set us in heavenly places, in heavenly realms. So positionally, You are seated with God in heavenly realms right now. But is that actually your experience? I mean, everyone in the room over the age of 30, your body is currently decaying. Over the next 20 minutes of the sermon, you will have decayed more. That doesn't sound like throne room talk to me. Are you, do you hear me? Some of you are like, I think pastor was right. I sat too long. I'm stoved up. I, 
I get it. I'm over 30. For you young bucks in the room that are under 30, listen. You're not yet decaying, but I will tell you that you can get shin splints, COVID, and athlete's foot. Does that sound like throne room talk to you? No. Why? Because your position of sitting in heavenly places is not the experience that you have right now. The position is a foreshadowing. It's a prophetic position. Yes, I am a son. I am royalty. I am in the throne room. But I can still get sick. And there is no sickness in heaven. So experientially, I'm not yet in the throne room. Can we understand the difference? Positionally, I can be at peace because that's the position God has placed me. But experientially, I can have turmoil and crisis and trauma in my life and in my world. What I want us to focus on today, what I want Holy Spirit to do surgery on today is over here. I hope you're convinced that you're at peace with God. If not, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end of service and we'll get you there. We're going to take it home. We're going to we're going to get a, a touchdown on that one. But what I want the room to experience today is leaving this talk, experiencing the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's why Philippians was written, by the way. Paul was writing to people who had already had peace with God, but needed to learn how to walk in God's peace. They needed some satisfaction. They knew their position, yet didn't have the experience. Now, we see this really cool thing in all of Paul's letters. I'll take you to Bible class for two seconds, and then I'll pull you back out from the deep, okay? In Paul's letters, we see something really exciting. Uh, for example, in the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, he's talking about the doctrine of holiness, all right? Then in chapters 4 through 6, he talks about the practice of holiness, what that actually looks like. Um, in Ephesians, God has already declared us to be holy before we act holy. Can I get an amen from somebody who knows you make a mistake? Are you thankful for a God who says you're holy anyway? A position of holy before the world sees how holy I am. Heaven saw it long before my actions reflected. Long before I'm just set apart for the king, he's already set me apart. Positionally, I'm holy, but the experience of that takes some maturity, takes some time. That's why when people get saved at the exchange church and then they do something wrong, they say the wrong words, they make the wrong decisions, they steal your purse. We go easy. We say, we're giving people space to work out their salvation with the Lord and time to mature in the faith. Now, if you're a 20-year Christian and you still can't be trusted around my wife's purse, there's a problem. At some point, we got to get off the milk and we got to start eating some soft mac and cheese. And then we got to get some steak at some point. We, then we need to be able to pick up a fork and a knife and cut our own steak and not wait for the pastor to put the little cube steak in your mouth. Do you know what I mean? There, but that takes time. And I'm just thankful that on day one, you're holy. On day, on day one, you're seated in heavenly places. On day one, you are at peace with God. We see a lot in Paul's letters where he talks about the position 
and then he transfers into the practice of it. All right. In our text, for example, uh, in Philippians, we see that he's talking about peace in chapters 1 through 3. He's talking about peace, contentment, provision, the doctrine of it. And then in chapter 4, he starts to talk about how do we actually practice that. Now, Paul, in most of his books, uses a key word to let you know when he's transitioning from, from uh, the doctrine of something into the practice. That key word is therefore. Look at your neighbor and say, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in Paul's letters, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? Therefore is the key word that says, I've talked about doctrine. Now I'm going to transition into practice. And you always want to pay attention to the doctrine, yes. But you want to get out your pen and your paper after the therefore. Because there are some very practical steps that the Apostle Paul is trying to get into you. We see this in many of his works. We see it in Ephesians 4. Verse 1, in Romans 12, verse 1 is the therefore. Galatians 5, verse 1 is a therefore. And we see a therefore in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So our text today is getting us right to the practical matter of peace. Are you ready to go? Jesus said in the upper room, in John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There is a peace that God gives to us that the world can't provide. There is a peace that God gives to you that a new job can't provide. That a pay raise can't provide. That a healthy marriage can't provide. That kids who are honoring the Lord can't provide. There is nothing in your external circumstances that can provide the peace that God can provide to you. There is a peace that God gives that the world can't give it. Oh, and if the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. Anyone remember that song? If the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. We see an example in Scripture of peace when the sea was stilled in Mark chapter 4. We're going to read that together. You may have heard this story. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. I'm reading from the New King James Version. On the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the step, in the, sorry, but he was in the stern, which is the back of the boat, in the stern, asleep on a pillow. I wonder if it isn't my pillow. Jesus asleep on a my pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, "Teacher, do you not care what we are that we are perishing?" Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "Peace, be still." And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, "Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith?" 
And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, gets in the back of the boat, falls asleep on a pillow. The Bible wants to make sure you know that he had a pillow in the back of the boat. And a storm kicks up and the disciples go and wake him up. And it's interesting to note in the story that Jesus was dealing with two storms that day. He was dealing with a storm in the hearts of his disciples and the storm from the wind and the waves. Now pause, where does Jesus live right now? It's a bit of a rhetorical question, but I want you to think about it. Where does Jesus live right now? Where is he? I mean, in this story, he was in the back of the boat asleep. They went to him in the storm. Where does Jesus live right now? Galatians 2.20 tells us where he lives. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The same Jesus that was asleep in the back of the boat on the pillow is alive inside of you via Holy Spirit. That's pretty comforting. You don't have to send an email to Jesus when a storm arises. You don't have to send a telegram. You don't have to send a wire. The same Jesus that was asleep in the back of the boat with these disciples, when there was a storm, that same Jesus lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. That means there is never a storm that you'll ever go through that he's not aware of it before you're aware of it. There is nothing that catches God by surprise. The truth is, church, you have a resource You have a resource that the world doesn't have. I I often ask myself over the last three years, specifically since 2020, how's the world doing it? How are they making it? How are they surviving? How are they going through lockdowns and economic instability? And good grief, we got teachers in the room. How, How are teachers that don't know the Lord doing it? How are pastors and churches doing it? Like, it's been absolutely ridiculous. And then we look at the racial tensions. How's the world doing it? Like, over and over, we've just been hit left and right. The world has, but for those of us who are hidden in Christ, all we've had to do is go back to the back of the boat, to the one sleeping on the pillow, and saying, Master, Master, wake up. You have a resource that the world doesn't have. And boy, does that make them angry. Have you ever noticed that the world gets really upset when you don't get as upset as they think you should be? All kinds of drama and trauma and things going wrong in the world and you need to respond and say this and say that and you need to get good and hot and mad because that's how we do it. But that's not kingdom. No matter what the situation or the circumstance, kingdom people stay focused on peace. We're carriers of peace. We fight for peace. We live for and through peace. 
You have a resource, and to them it just doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't know if you're going through this right now, but let me just throw that out there. Some of you are really disliked at work, and you can't put your finger on it. Now, if you're being a jerk, stop. If you're late to work, stop. If you're misusing resources of your boss, stop. Like, don't earn the dissatisfaction from people. Christians can do that too, right? But sometimes you're doing everything you know to do, and still the people in your job, there's just this, like, this clash. And Carrie and I often will tell people it's a, it's a spiritual conflict. There's a spiritual battle going on. The, the spirit that is inside of you is at odds with the spirit that is inside of them. That doesn't make them your enemy, but it helps to bring some perspective to what's causing it. You see, it's not always them that's causing it, and it's not always you that's causing it. Sometimes you're in a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle, and you just don't see it because you've not yet recognized it. The world can't understand how you can walk in peace when you should be losing it. I always, I always point back to Miss Lydia. Miss Lydia has lost two children. And I remember after the loss of her her daughter, we saw her in church. Carrie saw her in church. Specifically, Carrie always mentions this. And Lydia was just in church with her hands raised, just worshiping God. Like, she had just lost her daughter, son-in-law, in a tragic car accident. And Lydia was going to worship God anyway. Because there is a peace that can be found in the throne room of heaven that can't be found on 6th and Congress. The world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. Paul lists four things that have to happen in the life of a believer before they can experience that peace. So I want to help you experience the peace that God has for you. Paul lists it very clearly. There are four things that you need to pursue in order to experience the peace of God that goes beyond your understanding and definitely beyond the world's understanding. Are you ready for those four things? Philippians 4 verse 4, the first verse says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. The first thing that you need to experience the peace that passes all understanding is joy. Joy. But more specifically, you need to rejoice. I love the word rejoice because it's like joy over again. Joy again. It's not just a one-time thing. It's, it's rejoice. You know, rejoicing is not a feeling. Joy can produce a feeling, but rejoicing is an action. Rejoicing is a decision. Rejoicing is behavior that leads to an outcome. And it's not just a suggestion. The text is actually an imperative command, meaning if you're a believer in Jesus, you better rejoice. Rejoice. It doesn't say as long as you got that job, rejoice. As long as the bills are paid, rejoice. As long as the turkey turns out moist, rejoice. I almost said rejoiced. 
regardless of the circumstances, rejoice. Rejoice isn't birthed in feelings, by the way. You can be totally down in the dumps tomorrow and still rejoice in the Lord. Because rejoicing in the Lord, let's say a different way, celebrating who God is. Whether you feel like you're experiencing the goodness of God or not, you can still celebrate who you know he is. You can still celebrate that he has been faithful. You can keep a log and recount the times that he's been there for you and he's been faithful and he's seen you through this tragedy or this trauma or or he's protected you from this or from that. God has oftentimes been very, 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 very good to you. And it's in the moments when you just feel so blue, you got to look back. Keep a log. Keep a gratitude journal. Keep a list of all the times that God has been good and then you want to fire up that peace engine, it starts with rejoicing in the Lord. I could be crying, snot-nosed tray, eyes swollen, depressed as all get out, and still rejoice in the Lord. Because I'm not rejoicing in my emotion. I'm not rejoicing in my ability to provide for my family. I'm not rejoicing in how I feel. I'm rejoicing in the goodness of God in the faithfulness of God, in the very presence of God. Rejoice. The second thing we need to have peace is gentleness. Look at your neighbor and say, "Uh uh-oh. That might be more difficult for some of us than others. Verse five says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Let your gentleness be known to all men. If you want to experience God, the peace of God, you need to bring peace to people. As we pour out peace to others, God pours in peace to us. And so many people, so many people are at war with everyone at war with their spouse, with their kids, with their parents, with their coworkers, with their boss, with their church, with their waiter, with their waitress, with the gas attendant. So many people in the world have to just prove to everybody how wrong they are. Let's lay the weapons down and let's pour in peace. You know, one of the manifestations of Holy Spirit we're often looking for the healing manifestation or the, the speaking in tongues manifestation or the prophetic manifestation. One of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit is gentleness. And you can get completely different responses from people based on how kind and gentle you are to them. That's biblical, by the way. Proverbs 15.1 says... A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Some of you will just have a lot more peace in your life. You will experience more peace if you're just more gentle. If you just speak more gently to people, you will find more peace in your heart. I mean, I could say to you very easily, I don't really agree with that. I'll have to think on that. Maybe I'll change my mind, but I'll have to think on that. Or I could say, You're a liar. 
two totally different responses that I'm going to get from you. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, not just believers, not just your family, the ones you love the most, to all men, to the people who look different than you, to the people who vote different than you, to the people who have different account bank accounts than you have, like to the people who are kind to you and the people who aren't so kind to you. Allow your gentleness to be evident to all. So we've got rejoicing. We've got gentleness on the road to peace. The third one is awareness of God's nearness. Philippians 4, 5, second half of 5, 5b says, the Lord is near. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for those who are loyal so that he can show himself strong to you. If you want peace, if you want peace, you need to be aware that God is present. You need to look for him in the room. You know, when you you get upset or you're getting a bit offended, look for God. Be aware that God is near. God knows what's going on and he knows what you need before you even ask. And then my final point, The final point of Paul on the road to peace is prayer. Prayer. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be be made known to God. Prayer. It turns out, actually, that anxiety, depression, turmoil, stress, complaining, and murmuring all exposes a person's prayer life. That's truth. That's the Bible. Now, some of us are in the room and like, wait a minute, pastor, I have been medically diagnosed. I've got these issues going on for anxiety and depression. I'm not talking about medical conditions, but unfortunately, a lot of people try to put a medical diagnosis on, and what they really need is a spiritual diagnosis. Some of us are unnecessarily wrestling with anxiety and depression, not because of a hormonal imbalance or anything physical, but because our prayer life is lacking. Be anxious for nothing. That's a command from Scripture. So you know what that means? The translation of nothing, my my translation is no thing. Be anxious for no thing. I personally believe that anxiety is a sin against God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. When I have anxiety about my future, about the next job, about the pay raise, about how I'm going to afford Christmas, whatever that anxiety is wrapped up in, I can't carry that anxiety and carry faith that God is my provider. Those are two balls that are impossible to carry. You have to put down one to pick up the other. Be anxious for no thing. No thing. Prayer. I I love just the contrast of how it says, to all men be gentle, but to God, pour out your heart. To God, like, scream and cry about all the woes and the pain and the struggle and 
find yourself in a secret place. God can handle it. But the Bible says to other people, be gentle. And and I can't help but wonder how many of us don't experience peace because we cry out all of our woes to people. But we're gentle when it comes to asking things from God. Oh God, if you wouldn't mind, maybe send me a blessing. I want to pray with fervor, with passion, with drive. And then I want to be gentle to everyone else. So we've got our four points on the way to peace. And I'll end with the maintenance plan. Carrie's favorite two verses, or at least some of them. Verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, or another translation says, think, think on these things. The truth is you don't actually experience peace and then have it every day for the rest of your life. It is a continual pursuit to walk in peace and to experience peace. And you may have more peace on Fridays and less peace on Mondays. I don't know why that works out for a lot of people, but a lot of peace on Fridays and less peace on Mondays. Sometimes we just, we have to continue to fight for peace, but this is the maintenance plan. And the maintenance plan is think on these things. What do I think on, Pastor? I think on the things that are true that are noble, are just, are pure, of good report. Think on these things. Now listen, listen, listen. Get this. The Greek word for think doesn't mean a mental process. So when scripture is telling us to think on these things, the actual translation of think is keep a mental record and account. It's an accounting term. Think on these things. Take account. My wife has created a spreadsheet for Christmas. Everybody that we've got to buy gifts for, we've set a budget for, and as she spends the money, she puts it in there and she writes what it is. And and so we know how much money we've got left towards Christmas that's allocated. I think we'll probably spend less this Christmas than any other year just because we're actually really keeping track of it rather than like, oh, this looks nice. Let's get this. And then we realize, oh, we spent $25,000 on River. Um, which we have never done, by the way. Please don't take that literal. That's not, that's not, I wish that were feasible to think, but no. But, uh, you know, when you track something, you spend less on it, right? And so my wife, every time, she had me return something yesterday. At, oh, gosh, god-awful stores. I'm not going to say their name, but complete trash. And... And uh, of course, it's holidays and too many people are in there. And so I'm returning the thing that, anyway, I get home and I give her the receipts. And one of the stores gave me cash back and the other store put it back on the card. And I gave her the receipt and a few hours passed by. And I said, honey, did you credit the kids for that? And she's like, yeah, I already took care of it. And so I, we look at the spreadsheet and it tells us exactly, exactly where we stand. We don't have to guess. And Paul says, sit down at your spreadsheet and take account, record the things that are pure. Get the receipt, record the things that are of good report. 
Record all the things that God wants you to think about so you don't have to guess where you're at. You know at any given time, looking at the spreadsheet of your life, the things to be grateful for, the things to be thankful for. And in doing that, you find satisfaction. Will you please stand? Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would, God, bring to us this week the remembrance of this sermon so that we can rejoice and we can be gentle and we can be aware of God's nearness and we can actively pray. God, I thank you that peace is, is not just a luxury for those who, who do all the right thing. God, peace is a birthright for the sons and daughters of heaven. So God, I ask that you would give us the courage to pursue that experience, not just positionally, but to ex experience the peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen, amen. Hey, I want to remind you that next Sunday is the Christmas offering, so feel free to uh, plan that. Sit down with your family, prepare your heart for that, the Christmas offering on the 3rd. And then the Wednesday after that, December 6th, it's a night you do not want to miss. We have Awaken here at 6.30, 6.30 to 7.30. We'll have prayer, uh, communion, all kinds of great stuff. And then at 7.30 to 9, we have a Christmas party. And we're doing a white elephant gift where, where you get to bring something gently used or new, if you want, from your home. Something that you're ready to part with and share with the world. You can bring it wrapped. Is that right, babe? Talk to me. Yeah. And a dessert. So bring the best dessert that you had this past week. Bring it with you next Wednesday. We'll tell you how good it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.